Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. What is good, Alaska? This is Scott Levesque, and you're listening to the Daily Dose of the Must Read Alaska podcast. Hey, I want to welcome everybody. Thank you for joining with me today. And we've got tons to talk about, but I want to just give a shout out to all you listeners out there. Thank you so much for getting us to 120 reviews. We are well on our way to 150, and uh, I just want to thank you. You guys have been great. You've taken just a second and given us a five-star review, and it's been phenomenal. And that, of course, is on the Apple podcast app. And if you want to do the extra mile thing, we have tons of written reviews. They've been incredible. Thank you so much. If you want to do an extra mile thing, give us a written review. We do appreciate that. Well, let's get into it today. We've got a lot of things to talk about. We're going to look at the national level. We're going to look at the state level. And of course, we're going to look here locally, particularly at Anchorage. But let's first, let's get to the national level. And on Must Read Alaska, Rona McDaniel, the chairwoman for the Republican National Committee, wrote uh, a guest article here for Must Read Alaska. And it's under the title, RNC Will Fight the Biden Vaccine Mandates. It's a great piece, and I highly encourage you all to read it. I'm going to read some excerpts here. We're going to kind of break it down a little bit. But let me get into uh, some of the things that is said by McDaniels here. Number one, Biden's vaccine mandate would force small businesses with as few as 100 employees to require the workers to be vaccinated, strictly tested, or, of course, fired. He's also forcing a similar mandate on our national frontline healthcare workers, threatening their careers after they risk their lives to lead us through the pandemic. And I want to focus on that for a minute. You know, we spent a near year, almost a year and a half with frontline workers fighting to protect citizens, people walking through that door out in the community. And now what's happening, and we see this in Anchorage, and I, I'm sure we're seeing this across the state and, of course, across the nation, is that those workers who have gone through the battle, who were exposed to COVID on a regular basis, say, you know what, I'd rather not take the vaccine. And now they're getting punished after a year, year and a half of fighting this thing. They're getting punished for not wanting to take the vaccine. It's unbelievable. McDaniel goes on to say, Biden's mandate is blatantly unconstitutional, weaponizing the federal government to force private businesses to fire hardworking employees if they do not comply is a stunning abuse of power to accomplish his political agenda. Highly agree. Great words. That is a, I, I, I love it. I'm on board. Giving unelected, remember, we talked about this. See, this is, this has got me fired up because she is writing everything that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And here it is, guys. We talked about the bureaucrats making long-standing policy decisions that affect the country. Unelected individuals. So here's what she says. Giving unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats the power to mandate vaccines for nearly one-third of the country is deeply undemocratic. Mic drop. 150 freaking percent correct. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Of course, we did say it, but she's saying this now. I'm going to repeat this. Giving unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats the power to mandate vaccines for nearly one-third of this country is deeply undemocratic, and the White House knows it. 
Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, practically admitted that they are using these regulations as the ultimate workaround for federal vaccine requirements. Second mic drop. Absolutely 100% correct. They are going through bureaucrats to create policy as opposed to the legislation. Excuse me, the legislative body. This is a gross misuse of power to the highest degree. She goes on to write, but this mandate is not only unconstitutional, it flies in the face of individual rights. Making Americans choose between medical freedom and their livelihood is a violation of personal liberty. While I am pro-vaccine, the Biden administration does not have the authority to force hardworking Americans to make a very private decision that could cost them their jobs and their ability to provide for their families. It is unbelievable that it has taken the RNC chairwoman to write this for everybody to start to galvanize around. Now, granted, there have been factions out there, but this woman puts it into perspective. She does. I, I Listen, go to the mustreadalaska.com website. It is under Ronan McDaniel. RNC will fight the Biden vaccine mandate. She's 100% right. 100% right. Absolutely. This is a gross misuse of power. It is to push a political agenda. It is to use bureaucrats and bureaucracy as a way to, to push policy. And the Biden administration knows it. Without a doubt. It's unacceptable. And now... All those individuals who for the longest time using the abortion issue as a way to say it's my body, my choice, man, they're silent. I don't hear a lot from them. I don't. What I hear is, is that it's not your body and it's not your choice. But it's eerily quiet from those people. And like I've told you before, I am like her. I am pro-vaccine. What I'm not is I'm against mandation the government should not be in the business of mandating vaccinations they're just not that is not their job at all she writes there's an economic cost too biden's failed policies have already caused prices to skyrocket 100 percent true driving up costs for businesses and making it difficult for them to retain their customers listen i don't i'm not a conspiracy theory guy but man it is it is brutal out there it is brutal out there. Costs have skyrocketed. If you here in here in Anchorage, we're almost at four dollars a gallon for gas. Unbelievable. And yet Biden asserts and has the audacity to assert vaccination requirements are good for the economy. She continues on. That's obviously not the case. Already half a million shipping containers with $24 billion worth of goods are stranded off the coast of California, unable to unload thanks to a labor shortage. The mandate will only make things worse. Some truckers are warning that this mandate would cause many drivers to quit, compounding the worst driver shortage in the history has seen in almost 40 freaking years. The Biden administration is single-handedly destroying this country's supply chain management. It's unbelievable. Guys, we've talked about this. If you've been listening to me over the last couple of months, you know that we've we've forecasted a lot of this together. Okay? Suzanne has been incredible writing this content and getting this stuff out there. And we're just connecting dots. 
And it's not hard to see that a lot of the issues that we're seeing, particularly nationwide when it comes to the supply chain management issue, has got to do with these vaccine mandates. It just does. And who's paying the price for all this? Well, let's see. It's that middle class that the the Democrats seem to keep placating to during election time, but seem to be just crippling when it comes to how they manage and how they lead and how they enact policy. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. If you're out there and you're in the middle class and you were just swept away by the Biden's administration's promises to you, where are you at now? Because when the free money runs out and the child care uh, tax cut money that comes in every month wears out and when all these handout wears out and, and you're looking at super inflation and you're looking at the fact that you know you can't find certain items because they can't get into the country quick enough because the truckers are deciding that I don't want to get vaccinated so I might as well just not be a trucker anymore. And the fact that we got port workers that are not there and the unions have decided that we're going to stick to when you when all of that hits the fan and then people are scrounging and trying to figure out how they can buy things, how they're going to get things. The U.S. Postal Office has now said that they're not going to do three day or two day, but they're guaranteeing five day shipping. And pushing everything back. And of course, you've got the holiday season. Guys, we're just connecting dots here. We're connecting dots. So would we say that the Biden's policies, particularly around this pandemic, have been helpful or hurtful? Well, I would have to say they've been extremely hurtful. Of course, you're not hearing that out there. You're not hearing that in the mainstream media. You're not hearing the issues. What you're saying is, let's pass an infrastructure bill. Let's pass this. Let's pass that. And you know what? The guise has been this. The infrastructure bill is what's going to cure and aid our supply chain management situation. That's not the case. It's a red herring. It's false. What's going to help is you releasing and getting rid of these mandates that are essentially pushing truckers and port workers, and people that do not want to take it out of their jobs. They're getting fired, they're quitting, or they're finding other employment. So don't hit here and tell me that trillions of dollars creating more inflation into our economy is going to make up for the fact that you don't have truckers to ship containers around the country on these roads. You could have the best roads. As a matter of fact, if you continue what you're doing, there's going to be no one on the roads and you can have the greatest roads in the world. The problem is, is there's nobody on them. But here we are again, right? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's the vaccines that are going to create. You know, a truer statement has never been said by Biden because in his mind, if everybody's vaccinated, then we don't have to worry about people's choices. They're just going to do what they're told And thus we can get back to shipping. We can get back to the supply chain because everybody has just gone with the flow. We're just being obedient. So of course, when Biden says that the vaccine is the way to economic prosperity, in his mind, it is. It is. Because that means that there's no releasing of employees there's no firing of employees there's no employees quitting and finding other employment there's no lack of truckers because all the truckers listened and did what they were commanded to do you know just gave up that thing called liberty you know listen i'm not against the vaccine i'm pro-choice 
I'm pro the ability for somebody to be able to choose whether they get the vaccine or not. That's what I am. And I, again, I always say this. I haven't heard a logical argument that an unvaccinated person walks into a room with vaccinated people and all of a sudden they're the threat. It amazes me. For some reason, science has just gone out the window, even when it goes against the vaccine, even when you're seeing things come out, studies. Listen, we forget this vaccine is not even two years old and we're still collecting data. And those, from what I've told, are going to be dictating and directing our choices. And yet, it seems rather clear there's a narrative about this. Hmm. I wonder what that could be. Well, I know one state that's decided, you know what? We're just going to let the state decide things. And that's the Oklahoma National Guard. Okay. Suzanne wrote another story about this. It's under the title, Oklahoma National Guard, First State to Defy Pentagon on Vaccine Mandate. It's pretty simple. Actually, they make some rather interesting um, claims in this. And so let me read you a, a couple of quotes, okay? It's a statement from the Oklahoma National Guard website, and this is from Brigadier General Thomas H. Mancino, I want to say, Mancino. So this is what they said. Quote, this policy is not anti-vaccine. I and the governor are both vaccinated. I encourage all our Oklahoma Guard members to get vaccinated if they choose to do so. Another man who's pro letting people choose if they want to get the vaccine. We want to educate and inform our soldiers and airmen so that they can make an informed decision regarding the DOD vaccine mandate. They go on to say, under Title 32, Congress established a dual framework for the National Guard. The states receive federal funding in return for being made available to the government when called to active duty by the president. He goes on to say, under Title 32, the Oklahoma National Guard is a state-controlled and federally funded entity and takes orders from the governor and is a designated chain of command. When mobilized by the president under Title 10, the Oklahoma National Guard takes all orders from the president and his designated chain of command. Essentially, what the Oklahoma National Guard is saying, hey, under the framework of Title 32, we are run and operated and under the command of the governor and his chain of command there. Until the president invokes Title 10, which mobilizes and activates the National Guard across the country, in this particular case, Oklahoma, we do not take orders from the president or that chain of command. We are solely under state, I guess for lack of a better term, leadership. So he goes on to say, failing to follow the governor's lawful orders while on Title 32 would be both illegal and ethical and against our sworn oath. Nothing in this order prevents anyone from taking the vaccine. Again, making clear it's not a reformation against, excuse me, what they're not saying is that you can't take the vaccine. What they're saying is there's a choice. Goes on to say, also, nothing in this order eliminates the federal requirement. The governor is hoping for federal relief from Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, and in the interim has granted state relief from this requirement. Essentially, what this is saying is this. Listen, we are enacted and we're currently in the state of Title 32. And under Title 32, we take all orders from the governor of the state. And if you know what's going on now, the state of Oklahoma is not mandating vaccines. And thus, without the mandate from the governor in the Title 32 uh, framework, 
National Guardsmen and Airmen are not required to do so. However, the president decides to enact Title 10, which immobilizes and activates National Guard, in this case, like I said, Oklahoma, they would be subject to the leadership and the authority of the president and that chain of command. It's a fascinating argument. And it makes sense. It makes sense. It puts the onus on the state, and it also puts the control back to the state. It's amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? We have a opportunity to, to, to do well. We do. Listen, we have an opportunity here to say, you know what? We're going to back away. And again, this is President Biden. We're going to back away. We came on too strong, guys. We do want you to have that choice. But however, if you choose not to, listen, that's your, you've decided this now. This is, you know, there are ramifications for not getting vaccinated, particularly those at high risk levels. Totally understand that. But the president and his administration have not done that. So now you have states coming after the president's administration. And then you have this, which is a really clever and carefully crafted way of explaining why the Oklahoma National Guard is not going to uh, force the vaccine mandate. Just a little interesting, guys. As states, what I'm curious to see what's going to happen is this. You definitely have the coastal states, for the most part right now, who are falling lock and step. And the two states that are just personifying that would have to be California and, of course, New York. But what you have now is you have states not on the coast that are starting to take control of their own uh, statehood, making their own decisions. Alaska is falling in that. And I'm curious to see over the next six to 12 months what's going to happen, particularly with these lawsuits and the fact that there are courts that are holding injunction onto the president's vaccine mandate. What will that lead to? And again, we always talk about what's the ramification for the president if it is categorized as unconstitutional and you had all of these federal workers fired for not complying to an unconstitutional mandate. I think it's going to be, I think you should save a lot of that $3.5 trillion for lawsuits, my friends. It's going to be bad. All right, let's get down to the state level right now. And of course, we know that as we're heading towards election season, midterm elections in 2022. You're starting to see candidates come out. Uh, you know, we had redistricting. So candidates are starting to um, kind of look at what the district changes are and, and, and put in uh, for either House, Senate, both undeclared. So all that to say is that election season already is starting to heat up. And I think this is a product of what we saw in Virginia what we saw in New Jersey, we saw in Pennsylvania. Listen, people are becoming more civically engaged. And that's not a bad thing. That's absolutely not a bad thing. But here in Alaska, we know that ballot measure two, which passed in 2020, is going to be a hot topic. It has been. And right now, we know that there's a court filing. Meet Treadwell and Dick Randolph. File court brief. Ballot measure two is unconstitutional. Now, we've heard this argument uh, since ballot measure two has passed. And if you don't know what ballot measure two is, there is this really should have been three different measures that were crammed into one. And all of the marketing in this for ballot measure two was focused on 
something that is just the least of everything else, but it was the best messaging. And as a marketer, a communicator, I got a hands down, they did a great job of communicating a very small aspect of the measure that they thought overtook everything else. And it, it really spoke to what people were fearful of, which was outside money influencing Alaska elections. Here's the problem. Number one is the measure actually doesn't touch on outside money affecting future ballot measures. And number two, it's a very small component of the measure itself, meaning most of the damage that was caused by this ballot measure all hinged on two different things, which is a jungle primary, which is there is no Republican ticket, Democratic ticket. Everybody's all on the same ticket. And then ranked choice voting. So how it works is that all the candidates are on one ticket and you vote. And the top four vote-getters then go to an election runoff that are, excuse me, not election runoff. You go from primary to general election. So you got your top four candidates. And now the public is supposed to know you don't just vote for one because it's not one vote equals one vote. Now you've got to rank them one through four. And if you don't, your ballot has an, a real reasonable shot of getting thrown out after your first run through. Meaning, if the first candidate you pick doesn't make the next round because it is ranked choice and you don't continue to vote, so you don't continue to rank them one through four, then your vote essentially means nothing afterwards because they've got to continue going through until a majority is, is had, I guess for lack of a better term. It's very complicated. You could probably tell that I'm trying to think through this whole process because it is so complicated. It requires voters to vote numerous times on one ballot to ensure that their vote continues down a continuous pipeline if their first person they voted for do not get a particular percentage of the vote. It's maddening. It's not one vote for one person. Let's read from the article here. A filing today in court reinforces the argument that ballot measure two, which remade Alaska's election laws, is unconstitutional. The brief was filed by former Lieutenant Governor Meade Treadwell and former State Rep Dick Randolph, who are represented by former Attorney General Craig Richardson, Richards of Anchorage and lawyer Daniel Sir of the Liberty Justice Center of Chicago. The appeal says that a... Because Alaska is a younger state and its constitutional convention was more recent than other states, there are a plethora of documents available to understand what the authors of the Alaska Constitution meant when designing Alaska's election system. Quote, courts and councils have a myriad of resources to know exactly what the delegates thought as they crafted the state's founding charter. The journal, the staff reports, the committee notes, and drafts, the models of other states, all are available in PDF at the click of a mouse, the court filing says. Continues on. Here, those reams of historical materials all point to a single definition, conclusion for this case. Major portions of the recently adopted Initiative 2 transforming Alaska elections are entirely unconstitutional. They continue on. The voters were closely split on whether the reforms adopted in Initiative 2 are good policy, but both the courts and the statutory initiative process have no power to rewrite constitutional provisions, no matter how clearly advantageous and publicly supported a policy may appear to be. Hmm. 
Very, very interesting. They continue to argue courts must enforce the Constitution as written, and the people may only change it by going through all the safeguards of the amendment process. Initiative 2's election procedures are incompatible with the Constitution. Instant runoff voting for the office of governor is incompatible with the plurality principle embedded in the state constitution and initiative two's failure to as to the governor's office cannot be severed from other offices similarly the non-party primary is incompatible with the design of the lieutenant excuse me the governor lieutenant governor ticket in the state constitution and this failure cannot be served or severed from other offices so they're making their case right now about how ballot measure two actually enacts a a Severe departure from the state constitution. I'll read you this last thing, and I think it's very interesting. If the Alaska legislature passed a law excluding a group of people from voting based on race, to pick an extreme example, that would clearly violate Article 1, Section 1 of the Alaska Constitution. All persons are equal and uh, entitled to equal rights, opportunities, and protections under the law. Even if it were a method of voting prescribed by law, the point is, is that any new method or system of voting, like instant runoff voting, must be consistent with the other provisions of the Constitution, including the plurality requirement of Article 3, Section 3, they say. So they are, I mean, this is a, a pretty poignant and direct brief that was written regarding ballot measure 2. Listen, I, I have no clue how this is even a, a form of election system voting system this this makes no sense at all and what it does is it's under the guise again it's it's all about how things are branded in the political sphere right so marketing and advertising and communication is such a key component to politics uh, it gets people to buy into a system or an idea that only either gives partial or really is a misrepresentation and that's ballot measure two to the key like we said before, ballot measure two, the constant messaging you heard was, let's keep dark money out of Alaska. Keep dark money out of Alaska. And what does that do? It hits at the heart of every Alaskan. I don't want people from New York or Wisconsin or whatever having any influence over what our state does. The problem is, is that that's such a farce from what this ballot measure actually encompasses that it con people. Listen, Ballot Measure 2 was completely funded from outside entities. Dark Money made Ballot Measure 2. It was all from outside entities. So don't get it twisted. That was Ballot Measure 2. And now here we sit. We've got a complete reorganization of our election system. We do. It completely changed and remade our election system, the way we vote, how we vote, how candidates are. I mean, it changes everything. Nowhere, nowhere in the states do they have what we have here. This is, this is, talk about experimental. That is what we're doing right now. It has completely remade the Alaska election laws. And it's crazy that this happened like it did. Keeping in mind that Alaska already has a problem with election integrity in terms of the eyes of a lot of voters. If you haven't even, if you just want to get a taste of what that's like, you need to you need to listen to yesterday's podcast. You really do. It gave a, 
we, listen, since the 2020 election, people, um, a group of people, you can call them 50%, 20%, 40%, I don't really care, have real concern about election integrity. Wynn Gruing was our guest yesterday, and he went into this with the Juno's mail, uh, vote by mail debacle, to say the least. Where 8% of those who voted didn't actually get their vote counted. And that's just votes that were rejected based on post office issues. Those weren't even votes that were rejected based on signatures. We are remaking how we do democracy in America. And it's and we're seeing that here in Alaska, Anchorage, and Juneau. And it's troubling. It's really, really troubling. So I'll be interested to see as, you know... What's going to happen with ballot measure two? Is it going to be, you know, is the Supreme Court in Alaska going to have to really make a ruling on this? Where is it headed? I don't really know. I don't really know. But I can tell you this. All the briefs and all the state briefs and to interveners uh, to this, this ballot measure, all that stuff is due by the 6th. And we'll see in January 18th as you know, oral arguments begin, what's going to happen? I, I think ballot measure two for many Alaskans, many Alaskans thought ballot measure two was all about dark money. Many of them, because that was the line in the messaging and the marketing that was pitched and they were sold a bag of goods. And the fact that those three items were put into one ballot measure is a travesty and a joke those should have been three separate items for people to vote on. But packaged like that and intentionally, the messaging was all about dark money. And who doesn't want somebody, who doesn't want to curb outside influence into state politics here in Alaska? The problem was, is they were sold a bill of goods. They were sold a bill of goods. Well, I have a couple other things I wanted to talk about, but I'm going to hold on till tomorrow because I'm, I mean, I've, I was fired up today. But regardless, listen, we want to thank all of our readers, listeners, and supporters. You guys have been amazing. I want to thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. Thank you again for 120 reviews on Apple Podcasts and all of the written reviews. I just want to, again, make a plug. If you can give us a written review, that would be great. It's an extra mile kind of thing, but it just takes a second to give us a five-star review. Additionally, if you haven't you know, liked us on Facebook, subscribed and hit the notification bell on YouTube, or you know, followed us on MeWe, Parlor, Twitter, Rumble, you can do so. We're all under the same handle, which is Must Read Alaska, all one word. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining with me today. Tomorrow will be power-packed and fun, and I am ready to get going. So until then, take care, Alaska. <laughs>